Hello and welcome. I am Mr. McEwen, and this is actually my very first podcast entry. Hopefully there will be many more to come. Anyhow, uh, I am going to be covering my different units that I am teaching for my freshman world history class. So if you want to follow along with the notes, PowerPoints, and whatnot, uh, you can have access to those. You can find them at my website, www.mrmcewen.com. That is M-R-M-C-E-W-E-N.com. And you can follow along with there. This is meant to just briefly go over everything. I'm going to be simply reading through all of my notes. So perhaps this is you're just a better auditory learner or you want to go out for a run and for some reason you want to listen to history class as you go out for a run or something. So anyhow, without further ado, this is Chapter 1, The Enlightenment, World History Freshman Class. Just a quick reminder. So anyhow, The Enlightenment. Uh, so the Age of Enlightenment. Uh, this is going to be a period of time where a whole bunch of new ideas are just traveling the globe. But for the most part, we're going to be focusing on Europe. The, the ideas do travel out a little bit further, but anyhow, we're going to start with Europe, and this is roughly 1680 to 1790, and we're going to be talking about these philosophers or thinkers, and our little definition here is thinkers or philosophers attempted to apply reason to understand the world and to change it. So, um, anyhow, some things to think about if there are still philosophers today, um, who would qualify if you think they are. Um, and just some little things to think about when we go through this unit and talk about these different philosophers and thinkers. So, anyhow, these new thinkers, they came up with a lot of their ideas based on some new findings and developments in mathematics and science that are going on during this time. Uh, think of it like if we discovered uh, some stuff with the Higgs boson um, you know, with particle accelerator. Say we found out some new information there. How would that change our world from the new things we discovered? Well, that's kind of what was going on back there. Um, so anyhow, um, this new period of time gave rise to the thought that a single set of fixed laws governed the universe. So one set of laws can be applied to everything, like trying to use scientific method or scientific reasoning for everything. Whether or not that works, uh, you know, but that's what the thought process was of the day. So anyhow, um, for the most part, Enlightenment and the different ideas really didn't get along with the church. So uh, a lot of the Enlightenment thinkers or philosophers rejected the tradition and authority of the church to embrace all these brand new ideas. Uh, so they exercised the use of reason through direct observation of nature in order to discover the fixed laws which they believed would explain the world. So they watched everything around them and then derived explanation based on their observations. So, um, anyhow, philosophers, one of the big taglines I want you to remember is that they believed in scientific reasoning. And for the most part, they really challenged the current way of thinking and just really asked tough questions. Um, and asking tough questions to people isn't necessarily the best way to make uh, friends, especially uh, with the church in this case. Uh, they asked a lot of questions. Think of it like uh, challenging and say, you know what, Earth, no longer flat, think it's round. Some people are going to look at them and yell, Witch, burn them! Okay, so, yeah, it didn't always go well for some of the philosophers. So, um, anyhow, keep moving on here. So, a lot of them, these philosophers, their kind of goals were to search for the truth about how nature and human society work. So, they want, they want to search for the truth. In that. They want to improve society and how people live in society. 
and they want to think clear and logically, so based on like you know numbers and findings, not with emotions, not with feelings. And finally, they wanted to use scientific reasoning to examine every part of society, education, religion, economics, law, government, etc. Now, you know, I'm not sure how much uh, you want a scientist uh, telling you about religion and whatnot, but at least that was, uh, that was the goals of our philosophers. So once again, kind of going back to what we raised earlier, see how you think this could apply to maybe some modern-day people that might qualify as these types of uh, philosophers in modern-day society. Um, all right, now moving on. So this information, all right, they didn't exactly have cell phones, Internet, um, and, you know, oh, okay, you know, read it in a book. Well, not everyone was even literate back then. So uh, information had to travel somehow. And salons is the way that information traveled back then. Now, if you think of a salon today, we think, oh, you know, a barbershop, which, all right, if you want to get that idea in your head, it's not actually too bad because, you know, salon, people go there, they talk, you know, they make some movies about it, uh, you know, barbershop and whatnot, not saying that's a movie you should see, but, you know, there's a lot of people talking in it. So, and, you know, a salon is where this information traveled. And here's our textbook definition of a salon. Places generally of the upper class where guests would gather and talk about new ideas of the philosophers. All right, so, anyhow, so who are these philosophers that everyone's talking about in their salons and whatnot? All right. First one, Thomas Hobbes, or Hobbesies, I sometimes call him. All right, he said a social contract existed between people and a rule. When I say rule, I mean like a government or a society. And said that people surrendered or gave up their rights in order to be protected. So we give up some of our rights in order to feel safe. You know, see if you can think of any modern day uh, occurrences or similarities where we give up certain things in order to feel safe and secure. And when you go into an airport and you go through the TSA security checkpoints, you're giving up certain rights of privacy in order to feel safe. When you go in those little scanners and they go vroom, vroom, they scan your body and whatnot, you know, that is, you know, they can see a fair amount through those scans. But yet we allow ourselves to be searched like that. We allow people to go through our personal belongings. We take off our shoes. We allow ourselves to get pat-downs. We allow these things in order to feel safe. So... You know, he said a social contract exists between the people and a rule, and we give up some of these rights in order to be protected, and still somewhat true today. Um, all right, next one, John Locke, and he said that people had these things called natural rights, and these might sound uh, familiar. Natural rights are life, liberty, and property, and these cannot be taken away. Well, that should sound pretty familiar to America here, uh, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So, life, liberty, property is John Locke. And he also was all about this social contract theory that Hobbesy talked about. And he said a social contract existed between a ruler and the people, but the people did not surrender those, those natural rights he talked about. So, that life, liberty, property. So, okay, there's an agreement between us and our government, but they can never take away life, liberty, and property. And uh, another little tidbit about him, said a government must always protect the people's rights or the people should and can rebel. All right, moving on. Baron de Montesquieu said the best government was a government that had a separation of powers. Once again, sounds pretty familiar. Three cooperating branches. I bet you're already guessing what they are. Executive, legislative, and judicial. All right. 
it's no surprise that we're seeing a lot of things that are very similar to the American way of doing things. And the reason for this is the, the Americas basically were based after the ideas of enlightenment. And a lot of the founding fathers followed these ideas that were set forth during this time period. So we will see a lot. Of them. So anyhow, this check power uh, that you talk about, the separation of powers, um, it was called check power. And a balanced power so no one person or branch could become too powerful. So you have to always have someone there keeping a check on the others. So think of it, if you have too much power, you know, absolute power absolutely corrupts, we have dictators. We don't want dictators, so we have a separation of powers. All right, moving on here just a little bit. Voltaire, um, just a little extra information. Supposedly he would faint at the smell of roses. Um, anyhow, said enough to criticize wealth and privileges, so he... He talked a little smack, uh, and he got jailed twice by King Louis uh, the Fifteenth. Sorry. Uh, anyhow, said that the government must respect the people's rights, such as freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and freedom of the press. And a famous quote that it's attributed to him, at least, is, "I do not agree with a word you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it." So. Even though I really don't like what you're saying, I do believe that you have the right to say it and no one should stop you, even though it's completely against what I have. And another little quote by him. To learn, um, to learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. I thought that was a pretty good quote, and it kind of sums up Voltaire. Um, so, all right, moving on. Another, uh, here's a definition for you. Enlightened absolutism. And this is where the rulers tried to govern by enlightenment principles while maintaining their royal powers. Now, if that sounds a little funny to you, it should. It's fairly hypocritical. So we have a ruler who says, I like enlightenment, where everyone is equal and not too much power and whatnot. So, all right, I'm a ruler. I want to rule with enlightenment, but yet I still want to be the ruler. Okay, contradictory. Everyone can't be equal. It's like saying, everyone should be equal. I'm just more equal than everyone else. So, all right, now moving on with this enlightened absolutism, these rulers that tried to rule with the ideas of enlightenment. So let's move on to a couple examples of enlightenment being used in different areas and maybe as it builds up. Um, Prussia, for example, no longer around today. I didn't say Russia, Prussia. Frederick Wilhelm, or William I, sorry, um, so let's just get a little background of this guy. Obedience, honor, and above all, service to the king. One must serve the king with life and limb and surrender all except salvation. The latter is reserved for God, but everything else must be mine. Yeah, sounds like an angry kind of guy. Anyhow, he focused on military might, no surprise. He was very strict. His son even tried to escape his father's rule and tried to leave for England with a friend. His father caught him and forced his son to watch his best friend being beheaded. So this guy, not enlightenment, but his son, Frederick II, did move towards enlightenment. He got rid of some torture within the prisons, some, not all, gave limited freedom of speech and press. All right, there we go. Uh, moving with some of the ideas of enlightenment, uh, he had greater religious toleration, a word we have not gone over yet, so... Think of the word tolerate or toleration. Religious toleration meaning accepting or permitting others' religious beliefs and practices which disagree with one's own. So basically, that's not my religion, but I'm okay with you having it that way. It's just 
that's your way, this is my way, and that's fine, we can coexist. Um, he did keep social, uh, strict social structures, so he did have different classes of people. So if you remember probably eighth grade feudalism, you talked about serfdom, perhaps, which is the socioeconomic status of unfree peasants, a condition of bondage or modified slavery. So um, anyhow, Frederick II, Prussia, also known as Frederick the Great, did try to push more towards Enlightenment ideas. All right, so let's move on to Austrian Empire. Empress Maria Theresa. Um, keep that name in mind. She, that, this is the mother of someone who might pop up again a little bit later. So, anyhow, Empress Maria Theresa. Not really all about the ideas of enlightenment. Uh, she did try to help out a little bit with the serfs, but not really too much. But her son, Joseph II, he was huge in the ideas of enlightenment. Here's a little quote from him. I have made philosophy the lawmaker of my empire. Really not sure if that's his accent, but that's what we did with it. Anyhow, um, so here's the different parts of his little path of reason here. He got rid of serfdom altogether, got rid of the death penalty, uh, principles of equality to all before the law. Basically, we are all created equal in the law. Just because you're rich or of, of noble birth doesn't mean you escape the law. Everyone has to go to the law. Um, and finally, religious reforms and religious toleration. So, um, yeah, by freeing the serfs, he really made the nobles upset because all of their free labor is gone. So, yeah, they weren't happy. The religious reforms and the religious toleration didn't make the Catholic Church very happy, so they're angry with him. All right, moving on. The serfs, they're even upset, which sounds so weird because you have slaves that are being given freedom. But the reason is it was just too big, too fast to change it. They didn't really have any skills. They didn't have anywhere to live. They didn't really have any homes or anything like that. So they weren't exactly thrilled with it. So it didn't go the best for him. All right. Um, now we're going to focus a little bit on the economics of enlightenment. And that the big guy there is Adam Smith. And the big word here, and this is going to pop up from again and again and again throughout the rest of the year and probably your sophomore year as well, which is laissez-faire or to let do, and basically let the people or the market decide. So it is up to us what we want. We, we make the decisions because we have the money, we decide the economics. This is the capitalist model, laissez-faire. So if the market decides that cassette tapes are the in thing, well, there's probably going to be a demand for them, and then there will be someone to supply for them. Um, so liberty, you know, it's all about freedom of the market, letting the market decide, and this is less government control, less government regulation. The government doesn't step in very much and doesn't tell us what to do. So let's look at some, uh, moving on here, with cultural effects of enlightenment. So we already talked about religious toleration. So philosophers were not big into Christianity. Remember, they're, they're kind of moving away from religion, at least in their eyes. Um, however, most of the population was still Christian. So... You know, the people who weren't really into Christianity did move um, and formed a new, uh, new religion, uh, Methodism. So, and it was a church designed to bring lower religion to the level of the lowest people's capacities. So uh, no one is better. Everyone is equal. So that kind of makes sense if we think about the ideas of enlightenment. So everyone is created equal. That means religion. Everyone is the same. So you know, all these changes we've talked about, enlightened absolutism, it's going to change how these countries are made up. So, um, you know, the whole Montesquieu with his checks and balances changes um, 
at least the power structure in some kingdoms. So, you know, our monarchs are starting to come to an end, at least it looks like. So we have checks and balances. Um, philosophers are just going after the monarchies all the time. Uh, we already talked about, you know, enlightened absolutism that, you know, you can't really be a king or a ruler and everyone, oh, you know, we're all equal. Um, we're trying to get rid of the different classes as far as like nobles versus serfs. So a lot of changes going on here. Um, so now just to give you a little quick background on monarchies, uh, the reason these kings and queens for the most part came to power in the first place was this thing called divine right. And we will talk about this a little bit later, especially in our next unit, French Revolution, when we talk about King Louis' death. So just kind of keep that one in the back of your mind. But divine right, and this is how the kings and queens said that they became rulers. And here's our definition. A term used for the ideas surrounding the authority and legitimacy of a monarch. The doctrine broadly holds that a monarch derives his or her right to rule from the will of God. So it's one thing to say that you're the king, but you're the king because God said you were. Like, I actually, you know, my blood is considered holy. At least that's what they felt. And once again, when we get to the French Revolution, we will see that. So, um, and just more foreshadowing here, when we talk about revolutions, so these ideas of enlightenment led to three different revolutions. And if you're, you know, kind of thinking about the different things we've talked about, especially with all these ideas, checks and balances, um, and pursuit of happy, you know, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness or property, um, it's no surprise that one of the revolutions that was inspired by the ideas of enlightenment was the American Revolution, the French, Amer French Revolution, sorry, and the revolutions in Latin America. So, uh, and I'll just go over those briefly here. Hopefully, uh, you've gone over American already. We will go over French and Latin a little bit more as we go on. So, uh, American Revolution, 1775 to 1783. American colonists protested when the British government taxed them without their consent. This is the extremely boiled down version. There's so much more to this, but this isn't really the unit for that. So, sorry that it's a little, you know, quick. Um, anyhow. Colonial leaders uh, were familiar with the ideas of enlightenment. Um, a lot of this was through, you know, word of mouth, obviously, if you remember our salons, um, published readings, because these guys were very educated. Uh, they could read, so a lot of information could travel um, by letter uh, in books and whatnot. And if you think about it, the Declaration of Independence is an agreement between the people and this newly established government is actually our social contract theory at work. So just, um, anyhow, uh, Declaration of, uh, of Independence argued that since the King of England had violated the colonists' natural rights, life, liberty, and property, or happiness, the colonists, a la John Locke, had the right to rebel and change their government. So once again, we have more ideas of enlightenment. Okay, French Revolution, 1789 to 1799. We will be going over this as our next unit, so very, very quick version here. Um, during the revolution, citizens established a national assembly uh, representing the nation's general will. Um, this should sound familiar. Once again, social contract theory. And this new national assembly issued the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizens. Sometimes you hear it like, like, called like that. Um, and this uh, ended the privileges of the nobility. Enlightenment. Abolished serfdom. Enlightenment. Seized church lands. Okay, kind of anti-church. Enlightenment. And it issued a constitution or kind of social contract there again. Um, and just a little bit more for you. Um, the French sure know how to celebrate because soon after establishing all this, they celebrated, I know I'm on audio form here, but I am doing air quotes, abolished the monarchy and executed the king and established a republic. What a way to celebrate. And a lot of this was inspired by the American Revolution. 
And finally, Latin American independence movements, 1798 to 1825. Uh, a lot of the Enlightenment ideas contributed to their independence movements from the European colonies as well. Uh, people felt that they were entitled to a government that protected their interests. Really, is that just so much to ask? And finally, um, all this led to a fight for independence from Spain, and once again, the American and French revolutions were their inspirations. So um, that was extremely fast, I realize, and I'm sorry I didn't uh, take a little bit more time on a lot of that, but hopefully this is just kind of a review for you, something you could have done easily a 20-minute jog and listen to all this. So very, very quick, I realize. Um, I will try to make more of these as it goes on. Um, if you have any questions, uh, please visit my website, www.mrmcewen.com. That is M-R-M-C-E-W-E-N.com. And thanks so much for listening. We'll hope this all turns out great. Have a great day, evening, night, afternoon, whatever it may be. Thanks so much.